Uh, you can take out your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, it's on page 1072. Can you all hear me okay? It's coming through on the mics. I got a bit of a, an early Christmas present this week. Um, a pastor's present, I guess it would be. Um, I ran across a really helpful writing from a pastor in New York, Tim Keller, who we've, we've read some stuff of his in our church before, and uh, it really helped me think through the passage I was planning on talking about this week. So, um, I want to start this morning with what is probably one of the most famous uh, Christmas lines uh, in the whole Bible. It's Luke chapter 2, it's verse 13. So the, the setting here, uh, we just heard it this morning, the, the shepherds are in the fields, um, the baby has just been born, and all these angels show up. And it goes like this. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those on whom His favor rests. Peace on earth. And, and this little phrase, and you hear it all the time, especially around Christmas. Peace on earth. I think it gets to the heart of the question that we've been asking as a church this whole past month, which is this. What do the promises of Christmas have to do with us? Right here, now, on earth. Okay. So we've been talking about how a lot of times we can see how like the big hopes and promises of Christmas, like for a better world and for peace and joy and justice and all these kinds of things, we can see how that stuff, like it happened a little bit when Jesus was walking around, you know, 2,000 years ago. And we can often see how it's going to happen a lot, like in the future, when Jesus returns in heaven. But the angels did not say peace in heaven, right? They said peace on earth. So what were they talking about? Well, one thing we have to consider, we have to consider, is this just something angels say? So, you know, I often tell people, you know, have a nice day, uh, which I think is probably a good thing to say, but probably doesn't increase the niceness of the day that much for a person. Um, we call this just a pleasantry. It's just something you say. Maybe this is just something angels say, you know, peace on earth, peace on earth. Like, this is just, they go around just saying peace on earth to people. Like, that's possible. But I wonder, are the angels saying something more? Are they saying, actually, there really is peace on earth now, like right now, because of the baby born this day, and if they are talking about a real peace right now on earth, what kind of peace exactly are they talking about? Because I think our, our first impulse here is to think that it's talking about world peace. It's usually how people use it around the Christmas time. Um, you know, it's the end of like political war and conflict and stuff like that. So this week has just been really bad in terms of news about war, right? Um, so you've got Aleppo, 
and Berlin and Munich and Istanbul. And, and instead of all that war, The prophet Isaiah has this line. He, he says that one day, swords and spears, which were kind of like the main weapons of war back in Bible days, says swords and spears are going to get like beaten down and like reshaped to be like farming tools. And so someday we won't make war, we'll make like watermelons, which sounds so good, you know. It's this beautiful image, but there's a problem for us anyway. And the problem is that when Isaiah is talking about spears and swords and stuff like that, he's not talking about right now. He's talking about the future. He's talking about heaven or the new heavens and new earth. You know, in Luke chapter 21, so this is the same gospel that the, the angel announcement is in, but later on, Jesus himself has some kind of sobering words about peace on earth. So, uh, he says in Luke chapter 21, he says that wars and revolutions are going to happen, he says. Uh, he says nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. He does not say, hey, since I came, there's going to be tons of peace everywhere. He says, actually, expect war. That's Jesus. And uh, I think we can all agree he was right. Uh, I mean, we want world peace, we work for world peace, but to anybody paying attention, it should be obvious that even after 2,000 years of Christmas, we, don't have, we do not have world peace. Not remotely. So the question is, is there a peace that we do have right now because of Christmas? And I think a lot of us would say, Christians at least, that because of Jesus, we have inner peace. Right? So, in Philippians chapter 4, in the New Testament part of the Bible, uh, Paul talks about a peace of God which transcends understanding. We've heard about that before. I hear about it from you guys actually a lot. Um, after like a death in the family, you feel this peace that almost... It almost doesn't make sense. Uh, like things are just going really badly in your life, but like you're calm and you're trusting God and you can't quite explain it. Maybe that's the peace of Christmas. But again, I'm not so sure. Um, you know, this inner peace, and I've felt it too, it's real, but I have found that it's, uh, it's complicated. Uh, you know, when people, when people talk about inner peace, it's, I have found it's usually at a time in their life that's really bad. Um, like, when things are, when people talk about having inner peace, it's usually at a time in their life that's extremely unpeaceful. Uh, so when I hear about it, it's usually when somebody dies, when somebody gets really sick, somebody loses their job. Those are the kinds of situations that I most often hear about inner peace. And so I think it's real, but I would say it's kind of a relative peace. Like, uh, you experience maybe more peace than another person would in a similar situation, but it's not like total peace, 
I mean, total peace would be your brother's not dying. I mean, that would be total peace. Right? Total peace would be like your best friend didn't get cancer. Right? Total peace would be like you didn't lose your job. Right? That would be total peace. But again, we believe that that kind of peace, sort of like the end of war, it's really for heaven. It's not really what we expect today. Now, I'm not trying to be a wet blanket. Um, it's Christmas. And uh, those of you who, who know me know I can be kind of a downer up here. Um, and I preached, I preached this really depressing sermon at Christmas a few years ago. And uh, I still get grief about that sermon. Um, so I want to be clear, like, it's not that Jesus doesn't want world peace. He's all about it, right? He, he's the guy who said, blessed are the peacemakers, right? I, he was very much in favor of peace. And if you read the New Testament, just read the whole thing sometime, and you will find how often it comes up, this idea of peace, and how it's even the work of Christians, especially, to be advocates of peace and to be working for peace and all these different relationships, right? So it's, it's not that world peace doesn't matter. And it's not that inner peace doesn't matter, okay? I mean, I love inner peace. Inner peace is amazing. It's this great gift. It's just, I want to know, what were the angels talking about? What peace was actually accomplished? What peace actually started when Jesus came? And to get at that, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. So this is on page 1184 in your Bible. We're going to kind of bounce around two different verses real quick. A lot of people love Romans 8. A lot of you have told me it's your favorite chapter in the Bible. Um, whenever people tell me that, they are never talking about this verse. So this is verse 7. It goes like this. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Not on any posters that I know of anyway. Um, Turn a few pages to page 1225. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. All right, now page 1233. Last one, this is Colossians chapter 1, 1233, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. These are all from the same author. What, what's the author, Paul, what's he talking about here? Hostile to God? Enemies of God? Alienated from God? What's Paul talking about? Well, I think he's talking about the state that we're in when God is not a part of our lives. He's saying, basically, left on our own, before we believe, without God, it's not good. It's almost like God is our enemy. So I saw a study this week. Uh, from Barna Group. And according to this study, 91% of Americans 
91% of Americans, think that the highest goal in life is to enjoy it as much as possible. So 91% of Americans, highest goal in life is to enjoy life as much as possible. 86% of Americans believe that to be fulfilled in life, you should pursue the things you desire the most. 86% believe that to be fulfilled in life, you should pursue the things you desire the most, whatever those are. And I want you to notice what isn't mentioned in the survey about you know, meaningful lives. There's nothing about love. There's nothing about sacrifice. There's nothing about virtue. There's nothing about faith. There's nothing about faithfulness. Be fulfilled in life. Almost all of us agree you should do whatever you want. And when I read that, it made it easier to see what Paul is talking about. It made it easier to see how God could be like our enemy. Because if your highest ideal is feeling self-fulfilled, if the best way to live is to just do what you want, what are you supposed to do if God comes along and He's like, you know, I've been thinking about it. And I've decided, I've actually got an opinion, or two, about what your goal in life should be, and how you should live. And what if God came along and said, you know, this might be hard to believe, but my plan is actually a little bit more complicated than you just doing whatever you want. I mean, if you put it that way, suddenly God looks kind of scary to about 86% of us. I mean, if self-fulfillment is your top priority, if pursuing your desires, if that's the best way to live, a holy God who cares about things like truth and justice and beauty, what I mean is a God who's not a total pushover, could really mess up your plans for self-fulfillment. I mean, if this God has opinions about, you know, anything, it's not hard to imagine that there could be some times when your self-fulfillment on your terms might not be that God's top priority. And this could become a real problem. Because the big promise of the Bible, the big picture, good news, from really the beginning of the Bible to the end, the big promise of the Bible is not that we will all feel self-fulfilled. It's not the big promise of the Bible. The big promise of the Bible is that God will be with His people. From Genesis to Revelation, that's the good news. The promise is that we will be together with God and that that will be enough. And the Bible repeats this one particular line a bunch of times. It says that God will be with us and be our God and we will be His people. And we've been talking all month about how when that happens, when God is with His people, 
Good things tend to happen. Okay. So we talked about how when God is with His people, you get like creation renewed. And you get like power structures that get so distorted, they get set right again. And, and you get more things like justice, and you get more diversity. All these awesome things. Things that I'm going to go out on a limb and say are even better than most of our ideas of self-fulfillment. I mean, I, you want these things? I mean, I want these things so badly. But here's the problem. We believe that in order to get these good things... God is going to need to deal with all the stuff that gets in the way of those good things. Okay? He's going to need to get rid of everything that's wrong and selfish and sinful and unjust. He's got to get rid of all the stuff that contradicts His plan to make this world right again. And the question is, if God gets rid of all the bad stuff, What's going to stop him from getting rid of me? Or you? I mean, that, so that same survey found that Christians also believe, at almost the same rate, that self-fulfillment and following your desires are the most important things in a person's life. It's like 75, 80% of Christians. How is God going to get all these good things to happen with a bunch of self-centered, self-fulfillment-obsessed me, 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 people around all the time. I mean, we're not even talking about like God working through us or, or using us yet. Just like, how can God even just be around us and all of our self-importance? How can God be with me? How can God be with you? If our plans are always so much more important than His. How can, how can God be with us if we got all this rebellion in our hearts? Well, the Bible says that what we need is some way for God to deal with all that rebellion. Uh, in church, we call that sin. This is all the ways that we try to be in charge. We need some way for God to deal with all that sin. Not, not to sweep it under the rug, but to like confront it head on. Like our injustice and our selfishness. I mean, he's got to take it seriously, right? Because people get hurt by all of our self-importance. I mean, you can't just ignore that stuff. What we need is some way for God to punish the sin, but not get rid of the sinner in the process. And I want to suggest to you this morning that that is the peace of Christmas. What was born on that first Christmas was God's strategy to be with us. It was God's strategy to bridge the divide between Him and us. Right? So that baby would grow up to be the man who would receive the punishment that all our injustice and self-fulfillment obsessed, like me, 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 sin, deserved. He would take it so that we could live with Him. So Isaiah 53 says about Jesus, He says, He was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities and sins. The punishment that brought us was upon Him. By His wounds, we are healed. That's the peace of Christmas. Colossians 1 says it maybe even better. It says, God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Christ. That's Christmas in a nutshell, right? It is God's fullness coming down in the person of Jesus Christ. God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Christ, it says, to make peace through His blood shed on the cross. Dear friends, that's the peace of Christmas. If we want to see creation renewed and and power structures set right, and if we want more justice, and if we want more true diversity, all these awesome things, if we want inner peace, if we want to see world peace before all these good things, we need one thing first. We need peace with God. That's the first peace. That's the peace that makes every other peace possible. That's the peace that changes the world because that's the peace that allows God to be with us. Let's pray together.